Drive-by cinema. Three nachos and a foaming thermos of fun. Hello and welcome. This is episode 44 of series 2 of Drive-by Cinema. The podcast where we watch movies so you don't have to. <laughs> One of the watchers is Paul. Hi, howdy folks. How y'all doing? And I'm Rick. Welcome. Paul, Jubilee weekend. Oh, I got through it. There's been a, a lot more anti-monarchy sort of animus, it seems to me, mm-hmm. than I, I had expected, I suppose. Did you ever watch The Hunger Games? I did. Watch the Hunger Games, and, and there was the grotesque moment where the people in the central sort of city are all dressed up like like peacocks and ridiculous hats <laughs> around a TV studio being fake, uh, and you know, in the meantime they're choosing they're choosing people to to die in, uh, to, fight know, to fight for food, fight for food, sector yeah. nine, sector ten. I was just slightly reminded of that somehow. I don't know why. Yeah, it's perhaps not the best timing, is it? Yeah, it's it's not good timing, is it, for anybody? In the middle of austerity, war is on. We have just dangerously debilitated the country by Brexiting. And now we're parading our monarchy around. Pomp and circumstance in just an unbelievably warped version of the word jubilee, you know, which is supposed to be a redistribution of wealth. It's supposed to be a giant feast where we all come together and wealth is redistributed every 50 or 100 years, isn't it? You know, it's supposed to be like, you know, no inheritance after this point, we'll start again kind of thing. And anyway. No, I haven't done anything especially jubilee. I did go into the city centre the other day. I walked past a big red London bus that was parked there and there was some kind of, of celebration going. I walked past a jubilee kind of viewing party area, What's which was that? a lot of deck chairs. A lot of deck chairs in front of a TV, you know, like they oh, have giant. football events. All know, outside, like outside Wimbledon for the people that can't afford tickets, kind of thing. Yeah, like a fan park. Isn't it? Well, uh-huh. there was two people sat in deck chairs watching BBC News or something <laughs> outside, which is a peculiarly British thing to do. Um, and yeah, the place I went to had uh, a cardboard cutout of the Queen set up behind the DJ station. Um, but that was Ah, you were out and about. I was, was sort of out, yeah. I'm like you. I'm not really an. I'm not really a terribly staunch. Yeah, staunch anything. Yeah, I'm. I'm certainly not an anti-monarchist. Not Republican because. Uh, well, my here's my. You're going to say Donald Trump, aren't you? My red line is yeah, yeah. How do we guarantee that Boris that Johnson we get Prince Charles? Yeah, how do we guarantee we get Prince Charles? How do we guarantee yes. we don't get Boris Johnson elected to president? That's you know that would be my ultimate fear. For any replacement mechanism, but then he has all the power as prime minister, doesn't he? Yeah, but so. he's not the figurehead. You know, we everyone can kind of get behind the queen because she's she has she's integrity. Ineffectual. She's ineffectual. She also has some integrity, you know. Rather, than- uh, that's that's a personal quality, though, isn't it? I, I you know, I, she's been a wonderful monarch. It has to be said, whether or not you believe in like monarchical system or this faux monarchical system, the gun. A good job. She did a good job. But then, you know, £350 million a year, have we got our money's worth? I'm not necessarily sure that we have, to be honest with you. Here's the thing, though, you know, you cannot invent a monarchy from having none. If if you become a republic, there's no... Although, I suppose, again, I know we got called up on getting this wrong last time, but it did happen. The restoration happened, didn't it, after, after Cromwell yes. beheaded his king? So I guess you can sort of go back, but it seems unlikely. It seems a very unlikely thing to do. So before you get rid of something, again, this gets back to Brexit. You know, before you tear something down, you ought to have a a real strong plan for what replaces it. But aside from the existing bicycle monarchies, you know, the virtual monarchies of Germany, Italy, Greece, and other places still exist, don't they? They just float around New York, you know. Doing their art history degrees. Oh yeah, I mean, get, uh, getting paid lots of money for opening art, you know, opening their own art galleries and living their rarefied, otherworldly lives, you know. And pretty much, I think Harry and Meghan are heading yeah, in that direction anyway. Exactly, so, exactly. real monarchy, bicycle monarchy, virtual monarchies of Europe. It's all pretty much the same these days. So I'm just thinking, why don't we just head with the flow and just become just a little bit more? Let them keep their wealth and just let them 
flitter at like butterflies into their into their social situation as they, as they will anyway. Would be my thing. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, they'd be rich people in their own right, no matter what. Yes. Yeah. And I'm assuming we wouldn't be doing some kind of, you know, revolutionary thing where we appropriate all of their assets and cut their heads off. Yeah, but I'm not sure they can keep our coastline, though. Uh, uh, do they own our coastline? <laughs> well, I mean, the crown owns the coastline. No, 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 but yeah, that's a good yeah. thing. Because in other countries, the beaches are privately owned. And that means that in large part, you can't go on them, doesn't it? Well, I, I mean, how about the state owning the beaches? Well, that is, isn't that the same as the crown owning them? So, where were we? Uh, yeah, Jubilee, all all done dusted. We, I seem to recall we had a, we reenacted, this is 1977, the Silver Jubilee, we reenacted in our street party a coronation. Oh, and I, were you the king? No, I was the bearer of the crown. So I had like Wait. I had like a cushion off the, the kingmaker with behind the curtains with your scabbard with a uh, paper crown on the cushion, and I. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Well, that's a delightful image. <laughs> Sorry, carry on, Richard. Oh, there's no more to the story. I can't remember what happened. Presumably, someone took it off the cushion and plopped it on the head of someone who was elected to be queen of the street at the point. Point that that occurred. We live in a cul-de-sac though, so it's very easy to do the whole um, street party thing. You didn't have to close a road, you know, which must be quite annoying. I, I did, right? It might because I thought we just, you know, just go with it. You know, don't be a miserable, nasty, non-committal Republican. Just accept that people want to, want a queen. You know, I think most people do. Although under thirty-five, it's kind of fifty-fifty now. Uh, and so I did have my Jubilee mug ready from nineteen seventy-seven to drink from. But then I forgot to get it out, so it's still in the cupboard. Oh, well, always next time. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Paul, I think so, yeah. it's time for a little bit of music and a little bit of talk about a film. Bring all the music. Okay, Paul. Now th- so you're glad, aren't you? I'm glad that... The music wasn't a marching band. <laughs> well, it depends who edits this, doesn't it? It does rather, yeah. Could insert a marching band in there. Paul, this movie, you suggested... This movie? I think. I did, yeah. I, Out of the blue. I don't know where you got it from. I did it... Well, Netflix, Netflix suggested it. It said, you will probably like this. I don't know why. Uh, it's 2021. I think I said 2017 in the credits last week, and I'm completely wrong about that. It's 2021. Oh, that's uh, very and new. It's Norwegian, and it's the trip. It is Norwegian. It's a Netflix produced movie. Ah, and the opening tiles are shown over scenes which look to be in a TV soap or drama, immediately recognisable, even though it's a Norwegian TV soap or drama, by the whole ambiance of it. Yes. And they say something. And I thought at this point, oh my gosh, this is a soap opera. Have I chosen something <laughs> completely wrong? And I was about to text you and say, Richard, I'm sorry, I've chosen a Norwegian soap opera. It must have been like the people at Netflix must not, not have understood it's listed wrong. But no, it wasn't. It was part of the movie. Yeah, because the the guy who stars in the movie, he's a director, and he's a director of TV shows at the moment. But it was the line. The father is your dead brother's son. Which you marked <laughs> yes. it out as a soap opera. Your dead brother's son. That's your... The father is your dead brother's son. So that would be nephew. your nephew. Your nephew, okay. Yeah, yeah. Daniel. His nephew, Daniel. Uh, family names are all very weird, aren't they? I don't really understand them. I watched a YouTube video, or was it a podcast? I think Matt Parker was doing one. Of I think it was on his podcast, which we probably dropped, dropped the name of before, about working out cousins and how many times removed a cousin is. Oh, it's nightmarish. It goes diagonally. So, like, your, like your half-nephew is sort of like you, 
second amp removed. It's the same level of separation kind of thing. It goes diagonally up kind of thing. Does that make sense? It does. But it's like electron shells, yeah. like 2P, 2PF kind of well, thing. Well, Matt was able to give, because he's a mathematician, was able to give a fully kind of, uh, what's the word, like a mathematical definition of how you calculate. Are you any the wiser? I'm not. I'm not really any of the wiser, no. I'd have to really think about it. But it just goes to show you the fact that we've got all these words and structures and concept structures set up, how, yeah. how important this was to people at one point. Was. Working out, yes. you know, where you were in a family line and what they were like. Avoiding incest is also a good idea. It's, it can't just be about that, though, can it? No, no. no. It, it was about caste and rank and class, I suppose, very much, in part. And that is, yeah. And I suppose doing that and avoiding incest was a lot more difficult than just going on Tinder and matching someone. Quick aside, I, I read somewhere, not very reliable on the internet the other day, that we're only most removed by 50, 50 cousins to everybody else in the world. Like, you're related to everybody as a 50th cousin, which I thought was interesting. Well, that's, yeah. We are all one. We're one people. But are your nephews and nieces also cousins? Is that is that a thing, or am I imagining that? Nephews and nieces, I think, would be counted as... Is it first cousin removed? I'm not sure. Huh. Yes. Um, um, to the minus one or something, because they're a generation... I don't know. Oh, God. They're a generation and they're a relation away, which makes them two away kind of thing. So it, it's only first cousins. Wow. That's. I think that's the limit, isn't it, for incest? I think beyond first cousins, it doesn't... In the UK? I don't, I don't know... Uh, you certainly can marry and have sex with your first cousin in the UK. Okay. But, I mean... We're, we're, we're quite liberal, we liberal in that respect. Okay. But, I mean, yeah, I think... sort of genetically, beyond your first cousin, it I don't think there's much risk, is there? there... <sighs> to be honest, there's not much risk with your first cousin, I don't think. Okay. If you think about how much DNA you're likely to share. Let's get back to the film. So, yeah. this guy is a... This guy's a director. Like. He is, I think, a little bit sweet on a lead actress. He's clearly got a wandering eye. Although he's married, as we discover. He's played by Norwegian actor Axel Henny. Who yes. is he, you say? He's the guy in the movie What Makes Soap Operas. He was in The Martian, by the way. Whoa. He was also, which was one of our very first movies. He was also in no way. The Cloverfield Paradox, which I think is the Cloverfield one he we didn't wasn't. see. That's the one we haven't seen yet. And he plays Lars in this movie. He does. He's really like the Norwegian Jason Statham, isn't he? Or he, he's a well mixed with uh, Simon. What's his name in in that movie called Fuzz something? Simon. Simon Pegg. Pegg. Okay. Yeah, he's a bit. He's a mix. Do you not think he's a mix with Simon Pegg and that bloke? What you've just mentioned, Jason Stratton. Jason, Jason. Statham. Yeah, I suppose, I suppose that's true, yeah. He's a bit more comedic, perhaps, and less menacing yes. than Jason Statham. Well, this comedy's built as an action comedy horror thriller, so there we go. You know, getting mood and right in a movie is a tricky yeah. thing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, we'll maybe come yeah. to that a bit later. <laughs> Look, so I thought this was going to be like... Because uh, the soap opera stuff, you know, the jokes about, you know, the inter-design sort of relationship stuff, it came off as quite critical of soap operas it didn't come off as like as a jokey thing at first it's quite a serious move the first five or ten minutes wasn't it it felt very much like like it was gonna be immersed in the reality of scandinavian life i felt and then it gets i thought oh wow yeah. another, another scandi noir yeah. wow it's gonna be really realistic it's gonna be so so sort of like shot in very bare colors you know and that kind of thing but and then it goes into middle of the film it goes into like slapstick humor really like almost Quite gory. Quite like it's gorier and gorier and gorier. And by the end, it's like a sort of torture porn horror movie. It's a really, it's a really strange ride to go on. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking, what can you call slapstick gore? You have to think of it. It's, it's almost its own genre, this movie, isn't it? Well, it's several genres. Well, it feels that way to me. But maybe, is this a European thing? Is this like difference between British and European? Right. What it does in the middle to the end, I think, is a new genre. I, I, you it's, think? It's, it's not like... The nearest I could get was... What's the one in the high school where it's the two gay guys who who like help everybody? Actually, they turn out to be the murderers. Is it Scream? 
Uh, I know what you mean. I think it is. Yeah. And that was kind of like a new take, a new humorous, ironic, but still scary take on on horror kind of thing. And I think they've done something here that's quite new in a certain sort of way. Bits of it. Like you say, I I think the tonal shifts were quite jagged at times. But Well, okay. I don't know. Look, so what Lars is doing is he's telling people that he's going away for a weekend or a week or something, a, a break at his at his dad's cabin in the countryside with his wife, Lisa. And he's doing as he's doing this, as he's telling people, he's he seems to be setting up this idea that his wife is going to go walking on her own. And and it's obvious, especially if you've read the description of the film, that he's doing that to set up the idea that maybe she won't come back if she goes walking on her own. Well, particularly the montage is him at the Norwegian version of B&Q checking out a hammer, a saw, <laughs> yeah, yeah, a masking yeah. tape. You know. <laughs> Although, I mean, I've been to B&Q for a hammer, saw, and masking and tape. nobody asked you. Know, you. It, it is some, no, it is sometimes necessary, do you know what I mean? <laughs> Was it duct tape or was it duct tape? Oh, God, here we go again. <laughs> You've educated me this once, Richard, I haven't learned my lesson. He gets some tape, he gets some rope, a saw and a hammer. That was his shopping expedition, wasn't it? And he paid cash, yes. interestingly, by dropping it onto the conveyor belt after his purchases. That's in a European thing, Is isn't it? it? Uh, well, yeah. was he just highlighting the fact that he's not leaving a card trail? Perhaps. Well, the other thing that you saw on Euro Trash a lot would be, yeah, uh, like the Euro- what they would describe and what they would pick out as a European obsession with like toilet humour and bodily functions. Uh, That's right. And like we don't have it here. Not in quite the same way, I think. Though, but I mean, you're right. Obviously, we do have it here, but it does come up in this film as well, doesn't it? There's a couple of. There's a couple of scenes that highlight this. <laughs> Have you written them down in order? Because there's, I mean, well, let's first go. Let's go back to the beginning. There's a lot happens. Let's go back to the beginning. Because he goes shopping, as you say, to B and Q. He also stops by at his dad's retirement home or, you know, senior village. In fact, the sign outside has been graffitied to read "Senior Home." <laughs> Which is a bit like the old Faulty Towers gag, isn't it? At the start, where they always rearrange the letters of Faulty Towers. You know, how much recourse to to Wiktionary did you did you do during this movie? I did quite a lot. I learnt quite a lot of Norwegian. Uh, some of it's really similar well, this is to what English, I mean. isn't it? it? That yeah. joke, presumably, I mean, works in Norwegian and English. Sini yeah. whore. It's quite clever, actually. But it's amazing that it does. Whore. Whore is yeah. whore. I found out. Uh, he does mention that quite a few times. He says that word quite a few times. I think it's his dad. It is his dad, not his granddad, isn't it? I, I guess it must be his dad. Now, so his dad says that he was in the war. Right. And he built the cabin afterwards. So, okay. So he's he's pre-boomer, but he's got uh, similar attitudes, doesn't he? He's very... Uh, he's quite an unpleasant guy, really. <laughs> uh, he's telling his son off for being a crappy TV director, isn't he? And, and so forth. Yes. But he's, again, he's reinforcing this thing that he's going on holiday with his wife to the countryside. She's gonna, She loves walking so much that she might not be around. His wife, Lisa, comes out, comes to pick her up, comes out of the house. She's dressed all in pink and she's played by uh, Naomi Rapace. Is that how you say her name? It is, She's yes. a Swedish actress, Swedish We've lady, seen yeah. her before in Prometheus, for instance. I think she was in a couple of the other Alien franchises. I think it's implied that she might have Middle Eastern extraction because and later on the Nazi, the jail Nazi, says he doesn't like her kind. He says, ah, oh, but he says she's a Jew. Ah, okay, Jewish extraction. I didn't get that at all. Initially, I thought it was because she was Swedish. Because... No, 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 no. No, that no, doesn't... No. Yeah, he's a neo-Nazi. I guess they'd be all on board with that, but... I did. I did find that a bit strange. She isn't interestingly. I mean, Hitler. Hitler didn't really rate the Germans as Aryans. You know, he he was very much. You know, when his fatherland was. You know, take they were going to divide the world into five, weren't they? They were going to give the Britons some of their empire back. Actually, uh, he kind of ranked Britain as th- num- Britons as number three level quality people. And Germans are only number two level quality. Like 
for him, ultimate quality came from from Sweden and Norway and places like that. The Aryans. He thought they were pure. He thought they were pure Aryans. But yeah. Aryans are of like a Middle Eastern, Pakistani. Yeah. Yeah. How does that work? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> They're on the steps of uh, Pakistan, Afghanistan, and Iran. Or, or sorry, traditionally, you know, the origin of Aryan tribes, wherever they've migrated to, is seen as being there. Yeah. Baffling. Totally baffling. Now, uh, Lisa is an actress herself. Uh, she's not doing too well. Not doing too well. Yeah, that's right. But he told her to quit her job. You see, so there's there's quite a lot of. Uh, you know, resentment there because he isn't doing too well. He's got a gambling problem. Uh, he's un- up to his neck in debt and the house, the car, uh, and his dad's love cabin are all under threat because of that. Yeah, she, she's she got this job, I think, or she's trying to get a new part, isn't she? She was complaining that the director is supposed to be a pretentious bastard. And he says, that's the whole point of our job. <laughs> and then she's like, then, then uh, I kind of like this. It stayed quite sort of Scandinavian at the beginning because the backbiting between them was really quite yeah. sharp. And she's like, well, no, he's he's a theatre director. You know, it was really quite nasty. All the gaslighting and viperish, viperish comments that were going on between them. But then, actually, she compliments him, and he calls her out saying, you really don't mean that, and they have a laugh. It's quite... Well, yeah, she's reconciliatory most of the time, and she brings it back with quite a nice, earthy laugh most of the time, doesn't she? They arrive at the old cabin by this lake, and... So at this point, we just think he's going to murder her. That's all we know. We've been tipped off to that fact. He goes up to the alarm, and interestingly, he tries pushing the buttons, and it doesn't work doesn't deactivate it seems to be doesn't work uh, steps into the creaky very creaky cabin but what do you expect well built well done old man uh, and there's cornflakes on the floor yeah. we're expecting Goldilocks to appear around the corner at any moment and he can't find his there's a lot of knitwear in this film isn't there he can't find his favourite Norwegian jumper and there's one more thing missing too but I can't remember they're having a look around the place aren't they there's some shotguns in a cupboard in the basement I think there's a bunch of knives in the kitchen you sort of, the camera is playing over all the possible murder weapons <laughs> in the cabin so so far, so Scandinois you know, it's like, it's very real it's very suburban but gritty uh, and it's just plainly shot isn't it at the moment with, with some crisp dialogue they're cooking dinner, and it stays they're cooking that a romantic dinner that evening it's a couple of steaks and he's quite a, a fussy kind of cook. Yeah, he's like picking him up with a fork or something, and she just picks the steak up and drops it in the pan and has a go at him. And she cusses him, but then she laughs afterwards. You yeah. know, she breaks down the tension. Having so a she's, little bit she's of actually, a legally argument about the cooking, but then not lighthearted, really. But she seems the more decent of the two, doesn't she's she? She's slicing some fucking huge mushrooms as well. <laughs> and. They go and eat outside, and it made me absolutely beautiful, by the way, scenery in this bit of Norway that they're filming in. It's astounding. And it made me think a little bit of Scotland, but of course in Scotland, you wouldn't be able to do that because you'd be eaten by midges, wouldn't you? I hate biting insects, mosquitoes, midges, anything like that. I really suffer from... Imagine having to sleep under a net, or worse still, have to put the the shutters, the, you know, the the, the wireframe... White steels mesh shutters on our windows. I mean, very unaesthetic. Won't suit the vernacular of British building, will it? Listen, why? Why? No, wait, Paul. Why can we not destroy all mosquitoes and midges? Just eliminate them. Why not? What's the problem? They don't. Yeah, they don't fit into the ecosystem. Exactly. Just get rid of them. I don't care. Whatever it takes. Just blanket the earth with pesticide. They are the devil's drones. They, they don't contribute. Let's get rid of them. Maybe that's what we're going to find in Stranger Things. It's the mosquitoes. They, you know, they are the eyes of the upside down. No. But in any case, I agree with you. Mosquitoes go. need to go. And you know, I, if there's going to be any kind of ecological disaster, I would say mosquitoes out, first. Out, out. Locust, locust second. If locusts didn't destroy crops, I think we might have some problems. But. Interesting. When locusts are plaguing and destroying crops, we call them locusts. But when they're on their own, we call them grasshoppers. Cutie yeah. grasshoppers. <laughs> Jiminy Cricket. Oh. 
Anyway, there's lots of higgy going on this evening. You know, she's in the hammock. She said, you know, I'm just going to higgy it out. And I, I looked it up, actually. The Norwegian for higgy is the same as the Danish for higgy. So there you go. A hammock, right? The... Yeah. Not comfy. Well, you're right. Well, the thing about a hammock like that is it's in its own frame, right? And it's surely, you know, there's a lot of wood goes into putting up a hammock in a frame. <laughs> And un- in the same yeah. space, you could have a much more comfortable, like, swing seat or a sofa or, you know. I think swing seat is the way to go with those padded sort of floral yeah. cushions. <laughs> I remember we got one in that in 1984, and I suddenly thought I was American. I suddenly thought, you know, life was brilliant. They really transform your summer garden experience, a swing seat, when you're a kid. It makes you feel very sophisticated. But hammock, yeah, bad for your back, presumably, because you're just resting in that awkward, curved position like a banana. Now, he's taken quite a lot of effort over this meal, hasn't he, that they're eating outside in the midges. He's Because he says he had to go to the butcher specially and get him to do a New York strip cut. And he had, he to, had draw to draw picture, how yeah. it was cut. I don't know how you could yeah. do that with a butcher and explain which bit of cut it was. Is, is New York strip such, um, you know, like a delicacy? Is it like it is, yeah. I don't know. I've got no idea about. I I just get really confused whenever I see those diagrams. You know, you go to you, you go to the supermarket. And it says this is flank or this is sirloin. I don't know where it comes from. Like I tried to make a mental note on the package for next time, but I still don't know. A flank is somewhere near the you shoulder. Don't need I think to know. You just cheap. find the one you like, and you you get that one next time, don't you? Well, what I do is I find the cheapest one per kilogram, and then I go one up from that. <laughs> good, yeah, good mathematical model. Yeah, I like that. That's that's the other way I do. It. I did that for all my products, actually. <laughs> Hence the orange and mint club biscuits. Uh, I've been doing orange penguin this week. Same deal. <sighs> Bit too dry for me, a penguin. No. No. Ch- I'd like to see Viscount yo-yos come back. <laughs> mint Viscount, that's where they come. I, I, yeah, I like a mint Viscount. Yeah. Sadly, no more. No more. Anyway. You see what Biscoff has done? Biscoff has... Ruined our biscuit How? industry. It's all Biscoff these days. It's just a really dry kind of malted milk without malting, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> Are these the ones you get with an expensive coffee? Yeah. I like crap. them. I like them. Well, they're kind of inoffensive and adult, but they're not really a biscuit, are they? What I want to know is why can't I find ginger thins anywhere? But why can't you find malted milk anywhere? No, you don't want malted milk. You give children malted milk. Oh, no, 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 no. You cup of tea. It's wonderful, better than rich tea. Yeah, rich tea. Now that is dry. It's too, it's too dry, isn't it? But it's designed to be stuck it's in designed your tea. To be though, dunked. <laughs> After dinner, they play Scrabble in Norwegian. Yes. Cute. And Cute. Next little bicker. I've often been. Wondering about how you play word games in languages that have diacritics in them, and just extra alphabetic exactly. Features. That, that means there's more letters, presumably with different yeah. scores. That must mean they yeah. have more tiles, and it must be harder to make words because you don't have you've got an O, but you don't have an O with a line through it like they had in their game. Does that, sure. I mean, does that mean they have every vowel has to have one without and one with an umlaut in it? Yeah. So there are all those complications, but they don't have spellings like gh. But that's an advantage in Scrabble. You get more points. And it's an advantage in their Scrabble to get the umlaut. Well, it depends what the points value is, but I see a point, maybe. Anyway, she chooses a Swedish word. He doesn't allow it. He's been a bit of a bastard. And then he says, oh, you always get sleepy when you lose. Are you off to bed now? And she says, right, I'm off to bed. And, and they agree to play again the next day. Apparently, they're keeping like a running score of playing Scrabble. Just, it's just nice. It's what married life must be like. It's a running yeah, it's score. Like grandma used to do with their friends, with their blooming, <laughs> not their bridge. What they used to play? Whist. Used to play for a penny. <laughs> used to have to keep scores. You want me £2.73? <laughs> Did, do you remember your visit to your grandmother? Well, I'm going to visit your grandma. I'm going to watch I used to live with my grandparents, though. I didn't really oh. have the experience of visiting them. Visiting? You sit in the corner and watch her eat off a tray for two hours. <laughs> Right, we're off now. Bye, Grandma. It's like, what on earth? <laughs> like, you think Grandma would really, you know, wants to know all about you. But she, no, just didn't really want to speak to you. You know, just happy if you sit in the corner watching her eat. <laughs> That's nice, though. Yeah. 
with the snooker it's on. Just presents, yeah. Very bucolic, yeah. So, I think it's next day or something, or later on anyway, he goes out into the field and he's looking for rocks. And he puts a sudden big rock in it in a in a rucksack or a haversack or a bag or something. She's kind of looking over that way, isn't she? Through the reeds and the rushes. She's in a hammock. See, she told him on the way there that she was staying in bed or in a hammock all, all holiday. And she's certainly yeah. not going to go walking. I knew somebody who stayed in a hammock all holiday. Oh, right. But yeah. He'd taken seven tabs of acid, so it was an excuse. <laughs> Apparently, I don't, he was probably cheeching and chonging this uh, when he came out of it. But he said, "I lost all consciousness of consciousness, and I was just aware of my unconsciousness." <laughs> so, <laughs> anyway, but she's not in that kind of state. She's really aware. In fact, she's very perspicacious. Well, Lars takes all the stuff he got from the hardware shop into the basement. I think. Yeah. And he brings the hammer into the kitchen tentatively. He places it very quietly on the table. He pulls a vodka for Dutch courage. Yes. N- knocks it back. And Lisa's asking him for help, and he comes up behind her, and he raises the hammer about to smack her in the head with it, and suddenly she turns around and tases him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He comes to after the tasering. Tas- tasing is now a verb. Interesting. He comes to after being tasered, and he's tied to a chair. How? I mean, as discussed in previous episodes, it's quite difficult to move a floppy body around. How do? Why are people in films so keen on manoeuvring unconscious bodies into chairs and tying them to the chair? But that's what she'd done with him. She's moved him into a chair, tied him up. He comes to. She asks him about the hammer. He claims it was for the shingles. And then she's like, you were going to kill me. It's like, yes. I damn well was. And she's like, you are so stupid. You're just so dumb. And she points out just how dumb this idea of saying she disappeared. Uh, and then, you know. She asks him, why, do, why have you got a saw? saw why did you bring yeah. a saw in? Oh, he, he was going to cut her to pieces so, you know, the bits didn't like float up. She says, you couldn't even hold a raw steak. Yeah. <laughs> so she's cackling at this point. And she's like, well, guess what? I came here with the idea of killing you also. And then she points out that her plan was much cleverer. She set up some stories saying that he was taking her a novice hunting and that she was going to slip and the gun was going to go off. Unintentional discharge of firearm. And he said, you know, it's never going to work. And she says, why? She says, because she's such a fucking terrible actress. So so at this point, like, the vitriol had become a slightly more comic calendar, I think. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. This is quite funny. This, This is... This is kind of farcical at this point. Yes. Uh, you know, he tries to hit her on the head with a hammer. She zaps him. Uh, and yeah, they're having a, you know, married arg- married couple argument, aren't they? The farce is about to continue. So, uh, he gets out at some point, doesn't he? I don't know how exactly, but he does. Hang on. So, so she forces him. She's trying to get him to get up to go for a walk in the forest. But obviously he's going to refuse. She breaks his nose with the butt of a gun. That's oh, right. that's right. And then up behind her comes their gardener called Victor. That's right. Victor appears. And now we get a... F- and he hits her on the head with a shovel. And now we get a flashback to five days before where Lars had prearranged with Victor at a fun fair uh, that he's going to split her life insurance of uh, a million, whatever they are, uh, 50 kroner, About £100,000. And the gardener's a bit uncertain. He asks for a written contract. And he says, are you stupid? A written contract where he split. Oh, that's how her. she escapes. Because she says, wait a minute. It's not one million. That's right. It's, it's three million. million. That's later, isn't it? So oh, she wakes sorry. up tied to her chair herself. And now the gardener's there with a shotgun. Uh, and uh, he's Victor, isn't he? And he's now so got the upper hand again. Um. And, yeah, so what what happens next? That's right. So this is the point where, as you say, she starts bargaining, saying, yeah, it it wasn't one million life insurance. I think she's saying his life insurance is three million. So we should kill him and we'd get... I also think she's trying, you know, planting the idea 
to Victor that the other guys, you know, been diddling him out of good two million. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no question, no question. So this is kind there's of a, bidding yeah, war. In there's students. a funny like bidding war that goes on with it. You know, virtually Victor gets all the money basically, and then there's a struggle as Victor and Lars now struggle over the shotgun, <laughs> during which Victor's fingers get blown off when the gun discharges <laughs> in quite a gory way. <laughs> now she screams out. Uh, stop, stop him. Lisa screams out, stop him, i.e. to her husband, because uh, Victor's about to bolt through the door, yeah, isn't he? Yeah, he's running for the door. Lars shoots him. Uh, and then <laughs> This is funny. I didn't know a shotgun could catapult somebody so far. And then he turns on her, and he's going to shoot her. I'm pretty sure the shotgun can't catapult somebody through through up, up against the door. But anyway, sorry. Well, if you think about it, if, it, if when you fire a shotgun... It hit the other person and catapulted them several yards. You would also be catapulted yes. several yards backwards when you pulled the trigger. Exactly. Yeah. Thanks to Newton. Damn Newton and his conservation of stuff. Um, <laughs> uh, so he tries to shoot her. He turns the gun on Lisa at this point. And he goes she to pull the trigger, it. but of course he's, he's already fired two barrels. Oh, there's no that's more, right. There's no, there's no more ammunition. There's, you know, it's that's all it's got. Um, it was a, a breech-loading double-barrel shotgun. Say. So I think at this point he's ra- he's racing for ammunition. She's racing for a knife. They move to another room and they're yeah. Struggling. They run upstairs. They run upstairs to the bedroom, and there's another struggle over the gun, which During gets pointed which, skyward. It's pointed to the ceiling, and it, this is the ultimate in slapstick, isn't it? Yeah. This does seem quite unrealistic. They discharge the gun into the ceiling, and the now weakened ceiling gives way, and three, three blokes fall out of the attic onto them. It's not them out yet. So now we flash back again to three days earlier, where three escaped convicts <laughs> are running through the Norwegian woods. Norwegian wood. Uh, these are Dave, Peter, and Roy. Yeah. Roy, the neo-Nazi. Dave, Horstic Dave, as we'll later find out. And Peter, who's kind of in charge. He seems to be the smart one. Of the yeah. Three. They discover the little dacha, the little wood cabin. Uh, they disable the alarm and... Uh, smash it open, yeah. eat some cornflakes. And then, just as they They steal arrive, all their clothes. They steal Lars's nice jumper. There's, there's they, a, that's where the jumper goes, yeah. They hear that someone's arriving. They look out the window and they go and hide in the attic. Now, on the way through the forest, uh, Nazi Roy has been eating berries. He's been warned against Yeah, he picked some red berries off a little bush, didn't he, on the way? And just as our couple, our arguing couple, are settling in for the night, underneath the rafters where these three are hiding, uh, Roy starts to get diarrhea. Tummy trouble. (laughs) He has to shit. And he says, I must preserve my dignity. Uh, So rather than shit his pants... He drops his trousers and he shits in the attic. And it's yeah. horrifying for the other two. So, uh, I, so I think this must be European humour, isn't it? Yeah, because that that turd plays a now pivotal role in the rest of the of the story. But during the uh, discharge into the ceiling by the couple fighting downstairs, Roy gets shot in the ass again, again hilariously. Um, but now our married couple awaken, tied to chairs, obviously, is what you do in movies. The three escaped convicts are eating steak sandwiches. Uh, which looks nice. Uh, they recognise her from her acting work on a Viagra commercial. That's right. Uh, and they ask about the New York strip steak. Um, and they also talk about the dead man and what was going on and the married couple start arguing hilariously like married couples do. You know, no, her life seems to be in peril. You and told me to stop him from leaving. <laughs> no, I said stop him bleeding, etc. Et so the three comics are kind of enjoying this. Uh, at the same time, they haven't really threatened the couple. It's pretty obvious that they're going to come up with a gambit, i.e. a suggestion, give us some money and we'll let you go free kind of thing. Yeah, Peter asks for some cash. He's gone around finding all the cash he can. Quite reasonable, you know. Lisa tells them that there's more cash up in the office. But then, Dave <laughs> says that he's horny. And this is the bit that you mention um, where it seems like Peter is giving him permission to... I don't know what you call this technique. It's called a switchblade? What do you call it? Where it's pointing one direction, but it, you know, it 
turns out to be the other person they're focusing on. The switcheroo, the switcheroo. fake out. I, I don't yeah, know. Fake out, yeah. So, yeah, obviously Lisa's getting more and more nervous, and Lars is throwing her to the wolves, basically, because she'd already yeah. impugned his, his masculinity and his lovemaking earlier in their arguments. He's going, let's see if you're satisfied now. <laughs> but of course, the twist, as you as you said, is that it turns out Dave is gay, and Peter says, "You know that great queer Dave. You know, you He's know, make mince meat of your ass." So they're bending. Yeah, then we get the attempted over, rape, which bending is quite, Lars over, over the pool table, hmm. and it is, you know, it's like the old thing of prison rape being used as a punchline of jokes hmm. or as people's kind well, of. Jokes. I, Fantasy I'm just not sure about the tonality here because I mean it's it's quite slapstick and humorous, isn't it? But at the same yeah. time, we don't see any gravitas. Well, it, it would have been bad enough if they were talking about you know rape, raping Lisa, hmm. but you know, but I guess they couldn't have pulled that off as humorous. No, but exactly. Raping, yeah. raping the guy now suddenly seems like it is. It's for laughs, isn't fit it? Fit yeah. for humor, yeah. And so he, in a way, you know, obviously you're meant to feel that he's getting his comeuppance, right? That yes. Because he was tormenting his wife. And so stuff. he deserves to be raped. So yeah. now he deserves yeah. to be raped. It's really off. I, it didn't sit well with me at all, this. I mean, but. deserves to be murdered. We can accept that because it's, hor- it's a horror movie cliche, isn't it? You know, you, you, you know. Yeah. Kind of that kind of comeuppance we can we can accept because it's not actually real violence that's being demonstrated here. But I mean, this isn't any different from a real rape in any way whatsoever, is it? Really, it's it's not it's not made filmic in any sense. It's not like a you know. And at this point, perhaps feeling the same way as we are, Lisa interrupts and offers them you know one hundred twenty five thousand that she's got in her account um, that she can withdraw. So she's really saving Lars from this horrible fate and so they agree to that they do don't later they? later we see things have calmed down they're Dave upstairs is... watching tv uh the two, our two our two pals are locked down in the basement is that all right yeah yeah they're, they've been tied to not on chairs anymore just tied to pillars in the basement and dave is removing pellets from roy's ass <laughs> Um, and Lisa, yeah, is, yeah. Lisa is kind of repenting in the basement, I think, about the nasty things she said. Cut to Lars. Lars. He's viewing the snooker balls. It's obvious he has an idea. Yeah. So he kicks the little sort of net pockets and he knocks them out of the pool table on, onto the floor. He's not really paying attention to Lisa as she opens up to him. And uh, at this point, uh, he yells up starts yelling up and Peter sends Roy down, doesn't he? Yeah. And it turns out he he's says, the number two. He says he wants to shit. And of course, because we know that Roy has got some kind of like dignity, sense of integrity and stuff about going to the toilet, he relents <laughs> and he, he lets Lars get up and go to the lav. Which, you know, Lars does, he goes in there. Meanwhile, um, Lisa's asking Roy about his tattoos. Or he's, he's showing off his tattoos, isn't he? And he's saying, he doesn't like you folk. This is where I, I thought, well, it's because she's Swedish? Because she's not coded as Jewish in any way, is she? Well, she looks a little Jewish or Middle Eastern, maybe. So? Yeah. Hmm. Maybe. I, I didn't I didn't read it that way. But yeah, I suppose, I suppose there is, you know, the, the, Sweden does have... Immigrant communities from the Middle East, isn't it? So, yeah, definitely, definitely, yeah. yeah. Perhaps that's where it's coming from. So, it turns out that Lars has somehow smuggled three <laughs> pool balls. Up his bum. <laughs> well, we don't know that yet. That, no. only, that only comes out later, doesn't it? Which, considering, you know, what was going to happen to him, it sounds like he would have been fine with it. <laughs> he smuggles in that way or out that way? I don't get it, really. No, he... Because he gets searched before he goes to the toilet. Oh. So he must have, have been smuggling them anally in his rectum. Like then he takes them out, out in again. the toilet, pops them in his sock. Classic, like, prison weapon, isn't it? And Very he clocks, weapon, actually. He clocks Roy across the chin with them as he opens the door to come out of the lav. Knocks him out. Or stuns him. He dashes out of the basement... He leaves Lisa tied up, though, um, but she's manages to get Roy's knife that he's dropped. So she starts cutting away free. 
uh, he's fucked off. She sneaks out to try to get... She goes outside to get... Well, she tries to get in the cars first, but she can't find the keys. Then she goes back in the house to get the boat keys. Peter and Dave realise Roy's gone and they find Roy downstairs. And they go out looking outside. And they're all outside with torches, but Roy's torch dies. So he goes back to the kitchen, presumably to get batteries or another torch. And he finds Lisa in the kitchen getting those keys. So she starts seducing him, you know, saying she'll show her tits and stuff. Um, but he's a He's, he's quite stupid, isn't he? Obviously, he's a neo-Nazi. He has to be. But Meantime, he, Lars is creeping downstairs. And yeah. It's behind them. That's right. And he slashes Roy across the chest with a knife. And there's a struggle. And there's a shotgun involved. And at some point during the struggle, he blows Roy's head off with <laughs> yeah. the shotgun, spraying his brains all over the kitchen. Petter and Dave hear this. From the forest, I think it was. This was the turning point where the action really ratcheted up several notches, and it kind of doesn't stop from here on in, does it? Until the very, well, until you know the ten minutes denouement. Well, we're in full on, full on torture and justice porn now, aren't we? Yeah. So uh, we we've got this guy with his head blown off, uh, and you know slashed across the thing with a knife and all of that stuff. It's all really gory. Uh, Lisa and Lars run upstairs and they hide in the wardrobe. Stupid. No, Id- no idea why that was a good idea. <laughs> but maybe they didn't have any other place to go. Peter and Dave run back into the house and they find Roy on the floor. Uh, <laughs> Lars and Lisa... Are- well, Lars is opening up in the cupboard, isn't he? You know, kind of... Kind of yeah. Not, not the time to really be talking and <laughs> creaking and making noises. Ultimately, I think the noises from the creaking wardrobe lead Peter to discover them, don't they? But Lars bursts out, jumps at Peter. Um, Lisa runs for it to go and get the boat keys. And she lays out Dave as she bursts out of the door. That's uh, right, yeah. And then, uh, as they're sort of <laughs> both running out, Peter jumps on them from the, the top floor. Again. And... Again, you know, twice <laughs> in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and then there's a struggle. He starts beating Lars up. Lisa attacks him with a rake and it stabs into his side. And there's blood everywhere and he pulls it out. Yes. Dave has come round now and he puts a knife to Lisa's throat. And then Peter drags Lars over to the moat, the mower. And it's a big, you know, spinning blade type He's about mower. to stuff his head in the mower blade. Yeah, and it's one of those scenes where he's forcing his head closer and closer to these spinning blades. Only... Suddenly, Yes, to be stopped by... Who, Paul? By Lars's father in an electric car. A, a Nissan Micra, I think, Nissan, isn't it? Electric? Nissan Leaf, I think it is. Leaf, oh, it'll be a Leaf, won't it? Yeah. Comes bowling along, like you wouldn't hear the car coming. Maybe you wouldn't with all that tumult. Uh, and just, well, it's an electric, Paul, that's why you wouldn't oh, hear it. Oh, of course. And just bowls over Petter and knocks him out of the way. So we flash back now to six hours earlier, where, the, where an old man in a mobility wagon... I thought this was quite comical. This is the funniest moment of the movie. He passes by the cabin and he's seen something he doesn't like. He goes and phones the owner, who is Lars's dad, in this old folks' home. And he tells them there was a light on and cars backed outside. And so, for some reason, his daddy's alarmed by this. And, and we have a little montage of him trying to escape the senior citizen's home, which he manages to do. He steals the keys or something. Uh, of the security guard. Yeah. And he goes outside and he figures out it's an electric car and he calls it a homomobile. Again, a bit homophobic. He, it takes, he doesn't car. work out that it needs electric until he goes to the petrol station and tries yeah, to fill it with gas. He tries to fill it up with gas. And he winds up standing by the side of the road recharging it at a recharging station. And, of course, then he winds up knocking Pitter over. So, so table's turned again. He's dead arrives, he gets out of the car, he knocks Peter over, he shoots Dave in the leg as he's holding the knife to Lisa's neck. But That's Peter right. jumps up and grabs him. Uh, the, 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 the old guy bites <laughs> Peter's nose, nose off. off. And then Peter, so I think at this point, stuffs he the old guy him into the mower. Into the lawnmower, and he's like, he's entrails <laughs> are slowly sort of chopped away or whatever. Now, he would have been dead, wouldn't he, I think. 
in the well, warmer. But no. Lars and Lisa have jumped into the micro now, or the car, sorry, the leaf, and they're driving off. Pitter picks up the shotgun, he shoots, it goes through the car, and it causes Lisa to swerve off the road and crash into a tree. Hooray! No, we've not seen that before in a movie, have we? Um, Dave's kneecap has been totally destroyed by being shot in the kneecap by a shotgun. Yeah, by, by very Lisa. painful. Yeah, and Peter tells him to go inside and patch it up. Um, Lisa, meanwhile, she jumps out of the car. She's running now for the boat. Finally, there's blood everywhere at this point. Dave is bandaging his knee. Uh, the dad is still alive, apparently, as you say, rather un- remarkably. And he has a, he has a tête-à-tête with with Dave, doesn't he? Just as Dave has patched his knee up, Dad... Lars break, breaks Dave's leg. Oh, it's Lars. Okay, sorry. Lars has got, gets into the place where Dave was patching his leg up, and he just kind of steps on it and breaks it. Pitter finds Lisa looking for fuel in the boat shed because the boat was out of fuel. She chucks a bunch of fish ho- hooks at him, <laughs> and they all wind up stuck in his face. That is right. He still wants her alive for the money. So he drags her off to the boat and they start it up and drive away. Meanwhile, Lars shoots Dave's dick off with the shotgun. Horse-hung dick, yeah. And he re- reconciles with his dad dying in the hammock. Sees yeah, the boat how does dad get in the hammock? He cr- cr- crawled in there, I think. Oh, or did, Dave, did Lars put him in there? I don't know. But he sees the boat now, which has been refueled by Pitter. Uh, with Lisa, and he runs down the jetty uh, just in time to catch the mooring line as it's uncoiling, and he gets dragged. It's like Harold Lloyd or something, isn't it? It's like <laughs> dragged along behind the boat as it motors off. It's Buster Keaton stuff, isn't it? Really, you know. So but... next, of course, there's going to be a huge fight on the boat. He, he manages to get on board. He he. Uh, fights. Uh, now, I thought this fight scene, although you know, I think I think all atmosphere has left the movie at this point. But I thought the fight scene was quite <laughs> well constructed technically. I, I kind of liked the fact they were fighting on a wobbly boat. True, and there's this great moment as well when I think like he's been like knocked out and he flops over for a bit, and uh, she has gone to the front of the boat and pulls out a flare pistol. That's right, yeah. A big orange flare pistol. And she now, Petter doesn't notice a flare pistol, does he? He thinks it's a real gun because he's so stupid. Although he's supposed and to be. And she's like, you know, like, hasta la vista. But she, no, she says, adios something. What she say? Adios, Pitta. She shoots it. And, and of course, course it, 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 it sort of, it squirms like an exocet, doesn't it? You know, it doesn't fly straight. <laughs> and it, it's just a flare anyway, you know, yeah. it would have bounced off him. But it shoots past him and just pops off like a little firework. So, you know, she's totally defeated. Uh, and but by this point, Lars has jumped up again. He grabs Peter's hand, stuffs it in the motor, shoves it down into the, the outboard outboard motor. Yeah. And so he comes up Huge with his of hand gore. completely chopped off. Uh, and at this point, don't Lisa, forget he's had a rake in his heart. He's had his <laughs> he, nose bitten off. He's had his one of the well, two of them had their chest slashed. I'm sure he's had his chest slashed too. You know, like how he's still standing is beyond me. But there we go. Lisa, presence of mind as ever, she picks up a bag with a rock in it that Lars had put there earlier. She puts a handle around Pitt's neck and she pushes him off the boat with this around his neck and he gets pulled underwater. Uh uh Uh-oh. The mooring line snags, snags Lars's foot and he gets dragged into the water too. Why was the mooring line around... I don't anyway. know. I don't know. But anyway, yeah, it, the the rope pulls out, pays out, and it pulls Lars under, and he winds up hanging on the edge of the boat, requiring the rope around Lisa his foot. to save him. Yeah, and of course she does save him. Yeah. Now there's a moment in her eyes which is shot, you know, to sh- suggest she's thinking about she's letting thinking go. About it, yeah. yeah, but she doesn't. End so off. later, you know, they, they call the police. They're back in the cabin. They say, "Police, you're an hour out." Hell's bells, they must have been far away in the deep in the countryside. She asks Lars about the billiard balls, and he's obviously put them in his ass. Uh, and they they agree that they can make coin out of this story. Well, at first they say, you know, okay, we got through this, which I thought was a nice moment, but we're still broke and I'm a sole <laughs> loser kind of thing. And then they both come to the realization, wait, we can we can make coin. We can sell this story. <laughs> 
So you see the, you know, the newspaper stories, and then they're appearing on chat shows. And then finally, the crowning sort of glory is they're making a movie of it all. And of course, Lars is directing, and Lisa's playing herself in the movie. <laughs> yeah. Oof. Well, okay. Can I just give some quick summaries on my from my part? You know, some really nicely choreographed fight scenes, I thought, but went on for too long and didn't really fit. Well, obviously, didn't fit with the comic hist- historical energy that was occupied a lot of the movie. Uh, I just, I, I just found the amount of gore, uh, and not reveling in the gore, but just I can't really explain it. The, the physicality of the horror just it didn't overwhelm it just it just kind of became meaningless it 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 just came across as being not horror just simply almost like a sketch a comedy sketch about horror you know it's just in it's just pitched really weirdly yeah weird it it has elements of like an ealing comedy a slapstick uh or a or and the then, stage farce, actually. Yeah, but then it's got this really horrific and sadomasochistic section, which is like Funny Games or you know some really dark or, or the Purge or something. Yeah, with you know these hardened criminals, one of whom is a neo-Nazi, and, and then, then the titles and the music's got this sort of early two thousands London gangster flick energy to it all. Weirdly, like layer cakey. Yeah, I don't know what that's happening. I don't know what what's happening there. There is, yeah, there is a modern, like, British gangster movie thing, you know. Like a bit of it, particularly the music yeah. and the titling, yeah, yeah. What's going on with it? I don't get it, I don't get it. Uh, I mean, it was Did you find there were moments of tension? I, I was rooting for them on occasion, and I yeah. felt there was palpable moments of tension that I enjoyed. I definitely oh, yeah. enjoyed. It's a thriller, and it's quite entertaining. I wasn't bored by this movie at all, no. Mm. Um, but I just didn't, I was uncomfortable. In parts of it, it's is that because homophobic. it breaks genres? Partly, partly it's that, yeah. Uh, and does maybe it break the them for a good reason? Do you think? I'm, 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 I'm struggling. I'm equivocal to... about it, really. It is perhaps right. Something to be said for for crossing those genres in that way. Yeah, because I've it, never seen it done like this before. Never. It, it does. Well, it stays it, serious, doesn't it? You see, somehow. What was that? Was it a, a little Quentin bit Tar- serious. There's a Quentin Tarantino film. Um, ah, yeah. That breaks the mood very sharply. What's it called? The, the Dead and Night. No, I don't you know. know. You, know, you know the one I mean, the vampire one. The bravery and the freshness. It, it felt kind of fresh for me. I've never seen anything really like it. But I did not like the homophobia. You know, for one thing, they're depicting a gay guy as you know a violent rapist criminal and for the other thing the whole gay rape thing is used as a you know part of a joke um it's you know horror movies can be funny right like uh, we saw cabin in the woods which is a kind of deconstructed horror movie wasn't it and there's tucker and dale versus evil which i think is kind of plows a similar furrow furrow but there are funny-ish horror movies but this isn't quite that way it's not really a horror it's a gory justice porn film, if anything. Yes. And and in the end, in the end, both of those, the, like the husband and wife were trying to plan murders of one another, but they get away in the end scot free. And it, it's like, uh, <laughs> it's like a sort of marriage counselling kind of film, isn't it? Really. So, in order to repair their marriage, they had to attempt to kill one another and. Fight off a violent home invasion. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think. I think you know they're kind of riffing on the idea like marriage is bad, but it could be worse. Like <laughs> you're stuck with somebody, but you could be stuck with somebody worse. There are those kind of ideas underpinning it, I think. But yeah, mm. what scores. are the scores? Yeah, okay. Acting, Paul. Acting. Well, I have to say, I thought the acting was rather good. Oh uh, yeah, I agree. And I have no complaints about it. I, I don't really want to focus on anything anybody did. Uh, I like the female lead. Uh, yeah, she's great, Naomi. Yeah. The way, you know, she carries that uh, that resentment, but also is the person that's going to reconcile each situation. You know, she, she, she as an act- actress, she inhabited the character, I thought, quite well. Uh, so 
particularly for her, but for everybody generally. I thought the three convicts... They were a dis- bit three stooges. Though, I know, but that's the lines they've been asked to deliver. Yeah. Yeah. So given allowing for that, but particularly for her performance, I'm going to give it an eight for the acting. I mean, Pitta was quite menacing. So, yeah, I think a, a seven I would give seven. it for acting. Uh-huh. Plot, how did you like the twist? I think it was a very complex plot, but at no point did it confuse. It was really clear what was happening all the way through. Like, complex in the terms of detail. A lot happened. But it wasn't particularly challenging to work out what was happening at any point, was there? I quite like the way they did the flashbacks to explain each yeah. twist as it happened. That that was cute. And the way it A little unnecessary, into, though, do you not think? Maybe, maybe it overplayed mm. it slightly. But I like the way it hooked into things. Like, you can yeah. see why his jumper was missing suddenly. That was nice, yeah. And why the alarm didn't work and stuff like that. Um, really, I thought the dad showing up was a bit of a... I, I, that was slightly unbelievable. I didn't really understand. There, there were too many saying. moments of uh, serendipity, weren't there? Falling from the rafters, jumping out <laughs> the window, dad turning up just on cue to ram the car as they were fighting outside for the first time in the movie, kind of thing. You know, it's just just too convenient, isn't it? So, well, I think this is a seven for me again. In this again, category. I think you know this is. The trans-channel culture gap, I think, is like I think we're supposed to see those plot events purely as comedic, uh, and we're not necessarily supposed to see this as a you know a plot for a horror or a thriller. I don't know, but anyway, from where I'm seeing standing, you know, it just comes across as too convenient and a little bit hackneyed. So I'm going to go six on the plot. So. Um... It's comedy, horror, or is it either of those? Well, what category are we going to do? I don't know. <laughs> horror and thrills. <laughs> horror and thrills together as one category. Action and comedy for another. Well, okay. Making a gay rape the subject of, you know, the horror in your comedy movie can't get a good mark. Can it? Uh, so I'm going to give it a four. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I don't think it was ever... It was certainly gory. I never felt horrified by it or thrilled by it particularly. Like I said, there were, there were palpable moments where they were escaping or trying to do things. It just things. makes it more and more unbelievable, really, all the gore. Yeah, and the clock was ticking down. That worked, but that's the only thing that really kind of worked. The gore, when it appeared, was impressive for about two or three minutes, and then it just became a bit too much. And you know, familiarity breeds contempt. Same for gore. I think it just became, it just became too mundane. All the gore that was happening, I did like some of the ways that people were hurt. You know, like it was quite inventive. The lawnmower, uh, the hand taken off in the motorboat, the rake in the heart, kind of thing. Uh, they took care to make sure. Well, they spent at least twenty four hours, I think, thinking of different ways that people could be hurt. <laughs> So, for that reason, I'm going to have to upscore it to 5.5. I can't do any more categories, Paul. It's just baffling, this film. So, let's do an overall score. Overall score. Hmm, Yeah, I mean... And who the fuck do you recommend this to? I think you know if 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 you're Kids quite happy not this movie. <laughs> if you're quite happy not to take movies too seriously, and you want something that's a little bit not wacky but just different, you know, and it's quite energetic. Then, you know, if you want a non-serious night with the beers, watching a movie, I definitely recommend it and score it a six point five. In summary, how about you, Rich? Yeah, if you can see through its big flaws, uh, you will be entertained by this movie. So I'll give it a seven. Oh, not bad, not bad indeed. Okay, so huh. after all this flotsam and jotsam, or whatever you call it, uh, all this light. It's Norwegian wood. <laughs> it wasn't very sturdy wood, though, was it? You know, it's gossamer <laughs> stuff we've just watched. Uh, let's balsa move wood, on. Yeah. So, yeah, this balsa wood offering. Let's move on to something completely different. Okay. That's okay. Yes, uh, let's do that. Richard, can I just dictate what we're going to watch next week? Is that okay or not? Yes, because secretly we've already started, haven't we? We have. Uh, we're at least 35 minutes in. Well, I'm three hours into watching it, but I'm only... Oh, you mean Stranger Things? No, you don't mean Stranger no, Things. No, I don't. I mean David Lynch's early 21st century offering, Inland Empire. 
I think it's his last film, isn't it? Inland Empire. Yeah. I think he has made some rabbits on YouTube since. No, before. Before. It must be before, because... We see uh, them. Yeah. Inland Empire. Inland then. Empire. 2006. 2006. Good. All right. That's where we'll be going. Until next time, then. Episode 45. Thank you for joining us. Goodbye. Ciao for now. See you in the next one. Thank you.